Hello and welcome to Zip Files, a weekly technology news catch-up show. This week, I'm trebucheting 10 bits of red-hot tech news into the side of your head. Listen out for such scoops as Elon Musk going totally bananas on Twitter and calling a bloke a pedo. Amazon.com crashing on one of the biggest shopping days of the year. WhatsApp trying to stop horribly violent mob lynchings in India. And much, much more. If you're a long-term listener, then you'll know that we usually have a longer general interest piece in the middle of the tech news bonanza. This week, I'm seeing what you think of the show without it. This way, it'll be a little bit zippier. Please send any thoughts or feedback to evan at thezipfiles.io. That's E-V-A-N at thezipfiles.io. Anyway, enough of that. I've got special guest Sarah Lafer back on the show this week. My Austrian friend who lives in Deutschland. Hi, my name is Sarah. I live in Berlin. I like technology, art and education and also traveling around. All right, let's do it. Let's get all caught up with This Week in Tech. Elon Musk lost his head on Twitter this week, just two days after an interview with Bloomberg, in which he said he was trying to stop attacking people on Twitter. Musk called Vernon Unsworth, a British diver involved in the rescue of 12 boys and their football coach from a Thai cave, a pedo guy. Although we can all agree that this was a stupid thing to tweet, I do have some sympathy for Musk, who has a vociferous collection of bullies baying for his blood. Unsworth had prompted Elon's baseless pedo accusation by telling him to, quote, stick his submarine where it hurts, end quote, and calling Musk's mini-sub a PR stunt. I mean, come on. Musk built the submarine to try and aid the rescue of the trapped football team. Even if the sub's solution was unfit for service, as Vernon has said and Elon denied, the ambition to help is still a noble one. The world will be a worse place if we start shaming people for trying to help. Musk deleted his tweet tirade a few hours later and apologised the next day. The era of flying cars that sci-fi authors have promised us for decades is almost upon us. Rolls-Royce has designed an electric vertical take-off and landing vehicle, or an EVTOL, which it says could carry four to five people and travel at speeds of up to 250 miles per hour, with a 500-mile range. Rolls-Royce join a strong roster of companies also trying to take us skywards. Airbus, Uber, and a range of startups, including a handful backed by Google co-founder Larry Page. Rolls says that their craft will be developed to have a low noise profile and rotating wings that will allow for vertical takeoff and landing. I quote them, We believe that given the work we are doing today to develop hybrid electric propulsion capabilities... This model could be available by the early to mid-2020s, provided that a viable commercial model for its introduction can be created. End quote. What is something that you believe is true that no one else does? Oh, what do I believe in? I don't know. Humanity, I believe that they will at some point, maybe, hopefully, or take climate change as a fact and realise that they need to do something about it. Yes. Aren't we mm-hmm. aren't we technically screwed at this point? <laughs> not not yes, to put a massive down. Yeah. Actually I believe we're screwed. <laughs>
Amazon's Prime Day, the 36-hour-long sale period that is meant to create a Christmas-like shopping frenzy in the midst of the slow summer months, went well despite a few technical hiccups. As Prime Day kicked off, many users took to social media to complain that the site was kaput. Some users were totally unable to load the site. For others, the Prime discount was failing to be applied at checkout. Links on the homepage were broken and a particularly lucky bunch were redirected to error pages that boasted cute dog pictures. This then prompting the hashtag dogs of Amazon, well hashtag, which was humanity at its finest. In the end, Amazon rectified the tech problems, probably caused by either an unexpectedly large amount of traffic or some last minute code changes that were not well checked, and it all went well from there. As the dust settled, Amazon released a report saying that Prime Day had been a success. In fact, it was its biggest in history as customers purchased over 100 million products. Seven years ago, Social Capital, a venture fund dedicated to investing in startups that might go on to help humanity, was born. Prominent investors cowed to stick their money into the hands of Chamath Palihapitiya, the company's CEO. Now it looks touch and go whether Social Capital will be able to raise another fund, with their last $600 million one almost exhausted. The loss in confidence comes not from Chamath's returns, which have been on the whole relatively strong, but from the venture fund's strategy sprawl. Indeed, in recent years, Social Capital has expanded its focus beyond early-stage venture and jousted to position itself as a fund that can invest at any stage of a company's life cycle, be that birth to maturity through growth, all the way to public companies. This kind of strategy evolution is not something that many investors are happy with, and understandably. If you put your money into a fund that claims to be investing in venture, then it's worrying to hear that the CEO is moving away from this niche and playing the whole spectrum. Chamath's executive team obviously felt the same way, as pretty much all have left in recent months. European Competition Commissioner Margrethe Vestager has been the thorn in big tech's side since her appointment in 2014. Last summer, she struck Google with a 2.7 billion euro fine for abusing its dominance to unfairly promote its own Google shopping platform over other e-commerce sites. On Wednesday, Vestager announced an even heftier punishment. I'll read her tweet. Fine of 4.34 billion euros to at Google for three types of illegal restrictions on the use of Android. In this way, it has cemented the dominance of its search engine, denying rivals a chance to innovate and compete on merits. It's illegal under EU antitrust rules. At Google now has to stop it. That's really a very sizable fine and underlines rising tensions between US tech giants, which go largely unchecked at home and European regulators. Google is likely to appeal the decision, and they have the support of that bloke who wears a squirrel on his head. Donald Trump tweeted Thursday, quote, I told you so. The European Union just slapped a $5 billion fine on one of our great companies, Google. They truly have taken advantage of the US, but not for long, end quote. Ominous. If you could time travel, where would you go? I would not want to live in a different period. 
But if I could go back in time, I think I'd go back like to the ancient Egyptian times where I would be like a wealthy person. <laughs> and I think it would be really cool to just like live next to all these pyramids and you have all these rituals and it would be nice weather all the time and you'd have like people around you who would just make life super comfortable. So I, I didn't say anything about you being an empress. <laughs> I just, I, uh, so oh, yes. are you going to take loads of like euros with you or something? Mm, what's the point of that? <laughs> no, I would live as a relative of the ruler. Mm. So I wouldn't have to rule myself, but I could just spend my time um, like reading and um, chilling. And I mean, science was pretty advanced at some point yeah. in Egypt. So I think that would be super interesting. Yeah. Just like be there and be able to like be privileged enough to just enjoy what's happening around you. Mark Zuckerberg came under fire on Wednesday after saying that Facebook would not ban Holocaust deniers from the platform. Zuckerberg argued that it was not Facebook's place to stop people from saying anything that is false, but rather that Facebook should intervene when fake news and misinformation is spread with malicious intent. I quote him now. So, I'm Jewish, and there's a set of people who denied that the Holocaust happened. I find that deeply offensive. But, at the end of the day, I don't believe that our platform should take that down, because I think there are things that different people get wrong. I don't think that they're intentionally getting it wrong. It's hard to impugn intent and to understand intent. End quote. Truly though, in my opinion, it is hard to say that Holocaust denialism comes from a place other than hate. Unlike flat earthers whose beliefs are cutely innocuous, people who deny the Holocaust are probably anti-Semites, and that's the kind of thing that Facebook should be banning. Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, tweeted, Holocaust denial is a willful, deliberate and long-standing deception tactic by anti-Semites that is incontrovertibly hateful, hurtful and threatening to Jews. End quote. And said that Facebook has a moral and ethical obligation to remove such threads from the platform. Ofo is shuttering operations in North America and has laid off all employees in this region as it tries to consolidate other markets and become profitable. Founded in 2014 by students at Beijing's Peking University, Ofo raced to an early lead in China's bike-sharing battle, which had its similarities with Uber's hard-fought rapid expansion. Now, Ofo looked to be following in step with Uber, which has also recently changed course towards consolidation and profitability. It seems that taking over the world in one mouth-sized bite isn't all that viable a tactic, even when you're flush with funding. Match Group, the dating giant that owns Tinder, OkCupid and Match.com, is forming a new board focused on preventing sexual assaults and donating to organisations like the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network and the National Sexual Violence Resource Centre. Mandy Ginsberg, the company's CEO, said, quote, My hardest days in the organisation over 10 years were really the rare occasions where you'd see the headline that something happened with one of our users, end quote and added that one incident is too many. 
Whilst Match Group already takes steps to protect users like screening for known sex offenders, critics say that they and other dating services could do a lot more. Match Group's new advisory council will meet four times a year and starts off with six members including Tarana Burke, Senior Director of Girls for Gender Equity and the founder of the Me Too movement. If you could come back to life as an animal, what animal would you be and why? <laughs> well, when I was little, my favorite Disney film was The Little Mermaid because I love swimming and I really miss it because Austria is landlocked and we like going to the sea or going to the water in general was always quite like a special thing. So I think I'd come back as like a dolphin maybe. So you'd be a dolphin. Dolphins are very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So it fits. Oh. <laughs> the coding dolphin. <laughs> Classic. I'm not sure. Actually, you'd have to put the coding life to bay because you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to use a computer underwater first, firstly. And you'd have, nope. you'd have fins. So. Oh, I'd love that. Senators in Hawaii and South Dakota have introduced the Reliable Emergency Alert Distribution Improvement Act, or Ready for Short, which hopes to revamp emergency alerts for the modern age. Imagine this scenario. Someone somewhere launches a couple of missiles at the city you live in. Early warning systems pick up the deadly metallic rockets hurtling towards the city and trigger the emergency alert system. TV channels are replaced with grave warnings. Phones vibrate telling you to seek shelter, and people marry the underside of their beds. You, on the other hand, are busy streaming Stranger Things on Netflix and oblivious to your panicky phone left on charge downstairs. In an age where humans are finding their entertainment more and more from streaming services like Netflix and Spotify, the Ready Act proposes that emergency alerts be displayed on these platforms too. In this way, it will not only be the elderly and Luddites who survive the apocalypse. Since April 2018, at least 18 innocent people have been lynched by mobs in India after fake news has spread on WhatsApp about an influx of child kidnappers. With more than 200 million users, India is WhatsApp's biggest market and the single largest internet-based service available to people in the country. As such, it is an extremely powerful vehicle for disseminating information or misinformation. In an effort to curb these terrible acts of violence, WhatsApp is making it harder for users to forward photos and videos by removing the quick forward button and is specifically limiting the forwarding option for Indian users, meaning that a single person will only be able to forward one message five times. Unfortunately, I doubt this will be that effective. WhatsApp groups can contain up to 256 people, which means the five forward limit could still see an individual user alert 1,280 more. Ultimately, the solution will have to come from educating users on the dangers of fake news. I think an awareness campaign from WhatsApp targeted at users in India would be a much better move. And it's done. <laughs> it's over. You can open your eyes now. Take it all in. Hopefully the tech world around you makes a bit more sense. You're all caught up. 
If you enjoyed the show, then please share the zip files with a friend. If you hated it, then please share it with an enemy. Also, sorry to be hashtag that guy, but if you're feeling bright and breezy, happy and friendly, then rating the zip files five stars on Apple Podcasts would help me out massively. I love you all. Until next Sunday, enjoy your oat milk lattes and have a great week. Thank you.